When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 235. Today's episode is all about learning to love the process of practice. We tend to misinterpret the experience of what I'll call struggle as something bad, but all it's really telling us is that we're in the process of mastering something that we're not very good at. I was one time talking to some college kids and I said, you know, what do you do with a video game, you know, when you get good at it and they go, well, I get rid of it and get a harder one. I said, that's right. I said, you don't like things that are real easy. I said, that's the human condition. I said, we're always looking for something that's challenging. It's what makes us interesting. And it's what gives us the feeling of fulfillment. It's not crossing the finish line that feels good. It's everything that happened in preparation for the race that makes crossing the finish line feel so good. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. It's a new day, a new episode, and a new opportunity to subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening for the first time, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you always know about new episodes. Plus, it makes you one of my favorite people. Because the more subscribers I have, the more I attract amazing guests to help better serve you. So don't forget to subscribe. Today, I want to share a review from Zeta24, who says... This podcast is truly one of my favorites. It came to me at the perfect time. I truly appreciate the content and Melissa's transparency. It always seems like it's exactly what I need to hear. I listen weekly and I share it with my friends. Melissa, thank you for this podcast. Well, thank you for this review. I've said this so many times, but I cannot emphasize enough how much these reviews just light up my entire week. So thank you for taking the time. And now let's get to it. When was the last time you practiced something in order to get better at it? If you're into sports or musical instruments, you probably have a leg up on most adults. But even then, a lot of people just lean into the skills that they already have rather than picking up new ones. My little one, Bravery, is 15 months old now. And watching him learn and try and fall and get back up is humbling, but it's actually pretty inspiring. Watching him has been a good reminder of what it really takes to learn something new again. I play the piano. I played the piano? I never really know how to word that anymore. I played really well through high school. Then I didn't have a piano for a few years. And then I finally got a nice keyboard, but I no longer really had any of the structure around practice. So I'd sit down sometimes and I'd play songs that I already knew. Or I'd bust out, my heart will go on if I saw a lonely piano at a party. And everyone would turn and say, hey, I didn't know you play. And I'd be like, yeah, I used to, or I sort of do. And that would be my surprise skill drop piano session for the year. But the thing about practicing, or practicing well, I should say, is that it's a total present moment activity. Kids know this. You watch them learning anything, and their whole mind, body, and soul is in that moment. Everything is a new experience for kids. Well, until it's not. But when you're raising a little one, that whole raising part is really just exposing them to new experiences day after day until they learn to be in the world and use their bodies and communicate. Everything is new. Sure, bravery gets frustrated when he can't quite get something. But I think the real difference is is that he doesn't seem to be judging himself for it. He's not like, welp, tried walking again today. Can't quite get it, so I guess I'm just not good at walking like the other kids. I guess I'm just going to be a crawler forever. No, that would be crazy. He just gets back up and keeps going. Or keeps trying to get the peg in the hole. Or say blueberry a little better this time instead of blue baby. (laughs) But the older we get, the more we expect skills to just be innate. You either have it or you don't. 
Way back in episode 86, I interviewed my friend Sarah Wells. She was an Olympic hurdler in Canada, and she told me a story that stuck with me. She said she wasn't always really good at hurdling or even running in general, but she had a chance to train with someone who was in the Olympics, and she realized that there was nothing super special about him. Well, in case his mom is listening, he was super special, but he wasn't born with any more skill than the next guy. He was just willing to put in more work. Well, that inspired Sarah, so she just started training longer and harder. She started being the one that was willing to put in more work. It was that shift in mindset that made her realize that she has just as good a chance as anyone else to make it to the Olympics, and so she did. The hard part is feeling good about getting there. We get in our own way with judgment about our progress. I'm not learning fast enough. This was harder for me than it was for him. I'm never going to get it. Eh, I'm not good at it, so I don't like it anyways. Alan Watts said, This is the real secret of life. To be completely engaged with what you're doing in the here and now, and instead of calling it work, realize it is play. That is powerful. That is what we forget. It's all play. But we make it all work. I have to do this. I have to do that. Rather than I get to do this and I get to do that. I'm 37 now. And sometimes I think, damn, I'm getting old. And other times I think, I'm likely not even halfway done with my life. There is so much time left. And I've already figured out a good amount of things in life. So the rest could really be my ultimate playground. I can still be anything. I can create anything. I can learn anything. I just have to be willing to show up for new things and learn to practice again. So that's what we're talking about today. Our guest is Thomas Sterner. He's the founder and CEO of the Practicing Mind Institute, and he's considered an expert in present moment functioning, or PMF. He works with high-performance people, including athletes, industry groups, and individuals, helping them operate effectively within high-stress situations so that they can break through to new levels of mastery. He's going to teach us how to accomplish more with less effort in the least amount of time while experiencing greatly reduced stress. So three key things we will learn are why we find it so much easier to focus on something when we consider it play rather than work why it doesn't work when we try to enjoy something, and four techniques he calls the S-words that will help you to develop control over your practicing mind. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now let's welcome Tom Sterner to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, awesome. Okay, well, my first question is, what got you interested in studying really the art of practice? Well, I grew up playing several different instruments, and I was terrible at practicing. I, like most people, young and old, I hated it. Um, I wanted all of the benefits uh, that practice brings, but I didn't want to have to practice. So I spent a lot of time starting activities and then quitting on them. And I realized that if I was ever going to be what I wanted to be and accomplish what I wanted to accomplish, I was going to have to change that perspective and that experience. And I had didn't have the faintest idea how that was going to happen. When I was in high school, I guess probably my senior year, 
it, it really was in my face. I started piano when I played guitar really young. I played banjo. I'd uh, taken some, some woodwind instruments. And then when I was uh, in junior high school, I started playing the piano. I really could hear a lot of music in my head and I wanted to play it. And after nine months, I couldn't see the relevance of what I was doing to what I wanted to do. In other words, I was being asked to practice stuff that made, it just didn't seem like this isn't going to get me where I want to go. So I quit. And by the time I was in you know, high school, I really wanted to be able to play music. In particular at that time, both pop, uh, I would say more ballad type music and also jazz improvisation. So I decided I was going to have to fix that. And when I got into college, a friend of mine gave me his textbook for philosophies of the world. And I, really just ate that thing up. And I started to get interested in Zen uh, because it was this, it was very present moment. And I had never really heard that term. And I had a very much had a rabbit brain, which was a lot of my problem. And so then I began to practice meditation and I started to see everything changed when I became focused on the process instead of the product. When I became uh, focused on the process of achieving what I wanted instead of the moment when I achieved it, the, uh, everything changed because I was always doing what I wanted to do, which was being in the process of achieving it. And everything started to flow faster. And, and it was just a huge epiphany for me. And from there, I became very disciplined because the discipline is just a natural outcropping of that. And I didn't feel like I was working hard to be disciplined. I felt like discipline was just part of who I was. And then I got into sports psychology and neuroscience and, you know, all of those things, which have, you know, come along since then. And at that time, the sports psychology really hadn't coalesced into what we call it now. And neuroscience wasn't even around. But now I've just gotten really into the whole study of the mind and the conscious and the subconscious. And and how um, and everything in life we do requires practice. I mean, we always start from a place of no skill, whether that's uh, learning to walk or, or whether that's learning to deal like with a broken heart or you know or running a company. Everything requires repetition with intention to achieve a specific goal, and that's really kind of the, uh, the my definition of practice. It's a conscious repetition with intention. And so that's how it started. And I, because it had transformed my life, I had decided I wanted to write about it. Initially, I was really looking to write about it as an instrumentalist. I thought I had a, a very uh, large service business with piano technology. And I thought I was seeing constantly people that were quitting music, just like I had. And I thought, you know, if they just had a different, a shift in their perspective and they interpreted the situation differently, their experience would be different. And so uh, that was where I got the impetus to write uh, The Practicing Mind, which was the first book. I wish I had read this book earlier in life. I played the piano really, I have to say, through 12th grade. I got scholarships for it and everything. And then I just sort of stopped. I, to be fair, I didn't have a keyboard for a while, but then I did. And I can still play like three songs as though <laughs> I play very regularly, but I they're the only three songs I know now and it's such a bummer. But your book inspired me to start practicing again. And the hard part is, is that I find myself defaulting to the ones that I'm actually good at, but those aren't the songs that keep me coming back. It's more like just showing off if I happen to <clears throat> stumble across a piano at a Christmas party or something that I can bust out a Christmas song and everyone's looking over. But otherwise, it's it's just interesting because we think we're going to get to this place of being like, well, once I can play, I'm going to want to play all the time. But it's like, I know how to play these songs, but it doesn't keep me in the present moment as much because I can think of other things as I'm playing the song. Well, that's a secret in life, really, that you've just brought up. And that is that we tend to misinterpret the experience of what I'll call struggle um, as something bad. But what struggle is, all it's really telling us is that we're in the process of mastering something that we're not very good at. Uh, you know, with like the songs you play well, well, you don't think about them because you play them. But it was one time talking to some college kids and I said, you know, what do you do with a video game when you, you know, when you get good at it? And they go, well, I get rid of it and get a harder one. I said, that's right. I said, you don't like things that are real easy. I said, that's the human condition. I said, we're always looking for something that's challenging. I said, um, it's what makes us interesting and it's what gives us the feeling of fulfillment. It's not crossing the finish line 
that feels good. It's everything that happened in preparation for the race that makes crossing the finish line feel so good. And if we just change where we're focusing and realize, if we realize that as a truth and realize that it's normal to feel like we're, uh, to feel a, we're, we're calling struggle. It's just, a, that's a label for a sensation. And we tend to go, well, it's struggle. That's a bad word. And that's, so it's a bad thing, but that's really all it is. I mean, everything in life is a skill that comes through practice and we repeat and refine and repeat and refine, and we just get better at it. As we get good at it, it becomes more, uh, it becomes mastered and we, it becomes effortless. And so, you know, music is a, you know, is really a good incubator for that. But as you described, it really comes down to when we learn how to play something. Well, let me go back. Let me say that on the very first day of piano lessons, what you have is a situation where you don't know anything. You don't know where what the notes are on the page. You don't know where they the keys they correspond to. You don't know timing. You know nothing. And so you are at your threshold in that moment. And so the teacher says, okay, this, this dot on this line is this note on the keyboard, and you're going to press that every time you see this dot. And that's where you are. Now, how do you feel inside? Well, you feel like you're struggling. That's the, that, that's the sensation. That's the feeling. I feel like I'm struggling. Why? Because you're up against your skill threshold. Now, if you go forward, say, five years, you're way past that threshold. But what do you, how do you feel inside when you're trying to play Chopin's Nocturne in D flat? You have the same feeling. The feeling is, I can't, this is hard. This is struggle. That's really all that's telling you is, yeah, your, your threshold has moved with you. And so we're always up against our threshold when we're trying to um, transform ourselves, to move into new ground. We just misinterpret that as being something bad when actually it's quite normal and it's supposed to be there because it's just a feedback loop that's telling us, you know, there's nothing wrong with the fact that you're feeling this. It's you're feeling it because you're pushing your threshold farther. You're right up against that wall. That's the reason why in five years, you don't want to go back and play the stuff you played in the first two weeks of your lessons. You're way past that. That's just too easy for you. And that's what you're describing there. When you go back and play those couple of those couple of three songs or whatever that you're already competent at, there's no real fulfillment in that anymore. And your 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 soul, your spirit, or whatever is list, it's looking for something that's up against your threshold. So it's looking for something that's more difficult. constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. 
therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com mindlove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash mindlove. It's like thinking about the fact that, oh, I want to become a piano player, but all a piano player does is someone who plays the piano. It's not necessarily (laughs) saying like, I want to become a piano player that's at this level. You can be one the moment that you set that intention and actually create a daily practice of it. And so I think that's the hard thing to, to get around for a lot of people, especially the older we get. Like when we're younger, it's so much easier to fall into these these things because <clears throat> one of the points that you mentioned in your book that I loved is that there's more things when we're children. I don't know if you said this in particular, but there's more things when we're children that we consider play. Like there's not a lot that we're like, oh, I got to go to work. I, we have schoolwork, but anything else that we're doing, it's it's kind of because we want to and we recognize that because we're kids. There's not a lot of responsibilities. And then the older that we get, the more things we consider to be work. And you talk about how we find it so much easier to focus on something that we consider play than something that is considered work. How do we get caught up in those mindsets? We're almost making it more of a struggle for ourselves just because of the way that we're looking at it. How did we get stuck there and how do we start to change it so that we are more likely to show up for a task that we want to make a part of our lives? Well, number one, you know, interpretation creates experience. So our interpretation of something, if we if we label it work right away, it's got a couple of notches against it because, you know, we're saying when people say, you know, how do I develop more patience? Well, you have to be aware of when you're impatient. I mean, most people or I should say when you're having an impatient feeling, an impatient thought. Most people, when they're impatient, they're in, they're in their impatience. They're not, they're not noticing that they're impatient. And when you're having that feeling, and I'll come back to that in a second, when you're having that feeling, what you're saying is, I don't want to be here, which means you want to be someplace else. And I think that it's really important, if you want to transform that moment, you have to get to the place, and this is where I start with any of my clients, is you have to get to the experience of, I'm not my thought. I have thoughts, but most of them I don't create. They're created by my mind. They're stimulus related to my, and my subconscious is reacting to them. So I'm not my thoughts. I experience my thoughts. We know from neuroscience that about 95% of the thoughts that we have during a day are, we are not creating. They're just playback. They're just a playback um, based on a stimulus. So in other words, something happens out in front of your face or your ears, your eyes see it or something. And then your subconscious says, what are we supposed to do when this happens? And then it fires off a thought. And that thought is the reaction that you have installed over probably thousands and thousands of times in your life for this particular type of a situation. So I'll give you an example. I had had a client one time when I was having this discussion with, and he said, I don't believe that. I think that I create my thoughts. I think I'm conscious about what I'm thinking, et cetera. And so when he finished that, I said, did I tell you to talk? You sit there and shut up until I tell you to talk. Well, immediately he was offended. I said, do you see that? I said, I just manipulated you. I spoke to you in a tone that I knew your subconscious was going to say, what do I do when someone talks to me like this? I said, you did not make a conscious choice to react that way. I said, you just, it just, it was just your reaction. You just reacted to it. You didn't respond to it. There's a difference. You just reacted to it. And that is what is happening all day long. This particular situation happens, we experience stress. This one we happens, we experience happiness. This one, sadness, you know, the, it, these are all programs, and we know this. It's, it's a proven fact. So in order for you to get out of that loop, 
and be actually become the programmer so that you can reprogram and reinstall new programs on your own hard drive. You have to have the experience of what it feels like to watch your mind thinking instead of being in the thinking itself. And you do you have to do that through some sort of a meditation program. I, I recommend two to my clients that you know either phrase-based or breath-based. But really what you're doing there is you're watching and realizing how much your mind thinks without your permission. I did a thing with young people one time where I said, because I already knew what the answer was. I said, I want you to close your eyes for two minutes and stop thinking. And so I put a timer on it at the end of the two minutes. They're all chatting amongst themselves and I couldn't do it. I can't believe it. I was everywhere. And, you know, I, I said to them, you see, you are willing your mind, you're telling your mind, don't think. And your mind is saying, nope, I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care whether you want me to or not. And it has more power than you do. So if, if you're not controlling it, then who's in control? And where is it going all day long? Are you even aware? You're just going along for the ride. It goes here. You think about, it takes you to this particular situation. You get upset about it. You experience the upset of that. Just like the guy, when I when I yelled at him, his subconscious fired a thought. It took him to this place and he got offended. Like he wasn't consciously part of any of that. He was just being manipulated. And this is really, really important because when you realize, when you come to realize that you do have the ability to control what your mind is producing and what reactions you are installing on your subconscious, that's true power. And right now we know it's about 5%, but there's no reason why it can't be more. It's just, it requires a practice routine and we're back to the practice. Okay, well, if you're gonna have to practice this, what's the key? Well, one is to learn the process of becoming more in control of what your mind is doing instead of thinking, well, when I can do this, then I can be happy. Well, you've already set yourself at odds because as soon as you as soon as you become attached to the goal, what you do is you place yourself in a position where you're at war with the process of achieving it. When we realize, okay, I have the awareness that maybe I'm defining this one task, whether it's practicing an instrument, a sport, or showing up to the tasks we have to do for work, and we're internalizing that as, this is work, I don't want to do it. One of the things you say also is that when we're like, okay, well, I'm going to make myself enjoy this, that we kind of work against ourselves as well because we end up bringing in emotion and struggle. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. I mean, all things, and we're not talking about murder, (laughs) but for the most part, our experiences are, they just are. We interpret them and that when we do that, that determines how we're going to experience them. So when you when you find yourself doing something that you have defined as work, then that is your interpretation. This is work. And there is a sense of, I don't want to do work. It's already built. It's baked into it. And so right away, your interpretation has, has started this experience. But if you change that interpretation, and I'm not saying that this is always easy to do, but the first step is to have the knowledge that it it can be done, and this is the mechanics of it. If you interpret that differently, and, and I can attest to this because I do it all the time, if you interpret it differently, like, look, this is where I want to be right now. This is where I need to be right now. This is it. This is what I'm doing right now. What happens is you become attached to the process. You're not judging it. You know, like judgment is always a problem because judgment always has emotion laced into it. I think it's important to understand that what we want to do is analyze things. We can analyze things and there is no judgment in in analysis. It's just you're just looking at the data. And what happens in, in the human experience is immediately after we make an analysis, it's microseconds, we attach a judgment to it. And that's usually based on past experiences. It's not necessarily the truth. It's just the interpretation that we have had at some time or another. And so if you can learn to suspend that and just look at the thing that what I'm doing now is not, it's not work. Because you could say like, uh, well, cutting the grass. Well, some people love to cut the grass. They absolutely love it. Somebody else hates it. Well, cutting the grass is just cutting the grass. It's neither. It's not work and it's not play. It's the interpretation of the person behind the mower that has created the sensation that and the experience that they're going to have. When you really realize that, then you can become much more productive because you can you stop attaching an interpretation, a specific interpretation that creates, allows the experience to a specific event. And then you can start to look at it as, you know, all right, I got to do my taxes. I I just got to do my taxes. Like I can experience this 
in any number of ways. Somebody who's like an accounting geek just loves it. They think it's fun, you know, to go through there and find all the deductions and all that. Somebody else dreads it and procrastinates it as long as they can. But doing the taxes is just, it's just a process of going through and looking at receipts, et cetera, et cetera. So if you can say, I'm going to spend this particular time doing this work. And as long as I'm doing, as long as I'm fully present in that process, then I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that experience becomes one much, much more of contentment because you don't feel like you should be someplace else. You feel like you should be doing what you're doing right here in this moment. And I really think that one of the problems for us is we have way too much to do in a day. Everybody has just way too much to do. And it's not like it. And, and speed, you know, I'm at war with speed. Speed is this disease that we have, you know, we've all adopted. And if you, you know, like if you go back a hundred years ago and you got, you know, on a horse, you had to go to town and it was, I don't know, 10 miles away. It might take you a couple of hours of clip-clopping along and you really had nothing else to do, but just sit there and be alone with your thoughts as you walk through the countryside. You know, now we say, you know, I want to go to Europe. Oh my God, that's a that's a six-hour flight on an airplane. I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, it's like we've compressed time so much that we get impatient with things and we have too much to do. And so what happens is we're not comfortable with something that doesn't have closure to it. Like we want the report done. We want the kids picked up. We want the grocery shopping. We want to take things off of our plate so that we feel like we're getting ahead. And so because of that, we want to be someplace other than where we are. That's I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that our mind doesn't gets bored easily. And anybody that tries to meditate will find that out that you t- tell your mind, we're just going to sit here and watch our breath. And the mind very quickly says, uh, you got this. I'm going to go think about that report that we got to have done by tomorrow. And it just takes off. So what is happening internally in us during the day is that our mind is always, it's never content to be still because it has this feeling that it has to be constantly in motion, constantly in motion. It needs to catch up on this stuff and get all these things done. So this feeling that's inside of us that's driving that will finally go away and we can feel like we can exhale. So that to me is a large part of why we are impatient in the moment and why we're always trying to get someplace other than where we are right now. And I think that that's an important point to make. I have endless questions that answered multiple of them. (laughs) Well, one of the things that I have kind of worked on my whole life is decreasing the amount of TV that I watch. I just come from a family who watches a lot of TV. (laughs) And then growing up, I'm like, wait, I don't want to waste my time on this. And so it's just been this constant thing that I work on because it's so ingrained in, in like everyone in my family. And I don't really want to be that way. And so I ended up, Uh, wanting to start reading more again. And so I realized though that I would get stuck in the process of picking a book. And so I'd end up like scrolling through Kindle or like (laughs) going to the library for too long or whatever. And I'm like, okay, what I need to do is if I really want to create reading to be a habit so I don't get stuck in this loop, I need to like maybe create a list ahead of time. So I created a list of all these books that I wanted to read But I almost feel like that I worked against myself because once I had the list of all the books I wanted to read, it was no longer like this leisurely thing that I could just like read for an hour each night. I became obsessed with it. Like like now that it was in a list, I needed to check all of them off as fast as possible. (laughs) And I ended up going through so many books in like a three-month time that I wanted nothing to do with books for months at a time. And so there is just this need of when we have this list of things to do that it's like on our minds all the time. And so how do we get into the present moment from that to sort of relax and be like, okay, it's not about the completed product. How do you use that mindset of just zoning into the present moment? How do you use that mindset of just zoning into the present moment and realize, okay, well, this next hour, whether I'm working on an instrument or on a task for work, to just sort of be there and be okay with the process. I think, and just a quick point about what you just said, is that when you're in that mindset and you're thinking, as you said, you, you now you got 20 books you want to read, you're not fully present in book number one when you're reading that because there's a part of your consciousness that is thinking, oh, this, after I get this done, I'll get to the next one and, you know, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll complete 
a complete this list. And where does that come from? Well, you know, that comes, you know, everybody has a feeling inside of them. We, I think we all have this and it's a feeling that drives marketing. And that is this feeling that we're incomplete and there's something that is missing and there's something that we need. And if we can just get, figure that out. And if we can just get to that place, then that feeling is going to go away. And in that moment, when you're doing that, the feeling is if I can just get through this, it manifests as if I can just get through all these books, then this feeling will go away because I just feel like I'm, I have all these books to read. So I just want this feeling to go away. Now, marketing uses that. And that's why we're always told, you know, you don't have the, the right car. You don't have the right clothes. You're not taking your vacations to where, you know, this place or that place or whatever it is. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because the reason the people are working so hard to get you to spend your money is so they can buy more stuff and make that feeling go away in themselves. So it's really, we're stuck in this loop. And when you free yourself from that and you can say, and you can actually experience, you know, how do you get into this? Well, once you, first I'll say, once you experience being fully present and I call it present moment functioning. I mean, that's what I work on with people. Once you experience that, then you want more of it because when you're fully present in what you're doing, obviously you're not thinking I'm really fully present because you're not, if you're, if you're thinking about that, then you're not fully present anymore. You're thinking about the fact that you're fully present. Like, so when you're fully present, time just goes away. The feeling of I need to be someplace else goes away. Everything just goes away except for this particular moment. So in order to get to that place, the first thing you have to be able to do is to go back to that you need some form of what I call thought awareness training. You need what you're describing are all these thoughts that are pulling you out of the present moment. That's They're at war with the present moment and you're trying to get into the present moment. And the thoughts are saying, you know, I want you to do this or I have to do that. Or when this happens, I'll be happy. And all this dialogue is going on inside of your head. And you have to be able to still that. And you can't still it if you're in it. You're in the behavior. That's a behavior that you've learned and you've practiced over and over again. So you've mastered it. That's why it flows so effortlessly. And being in the present moment is not something that you've practiced, but they're both just skills. They're skills that you can learn. And how do you learn a skill? Well, a skill requires understanding what the mechanics are and practicing the mechanics, repeating them intentionally over and over again. But the point that you have to remember is that if you're doing that, then you are successful and you're in, you're fulfilling what your, your goal is. So you're in the goal all the time. You've reached the goal all in every moment. What happens is, as I see with people is when they start trying to do this, they think, well, when I can do it this well, then I'll be happy. We'll see you're right back to the, that feeling of I'm incomplete and I can't be feel complete until I can do this well. And so that's really the, you know, the catch 22 is if you can just let go of that and you practice thought awareness um, and thought awareness you know, is like a meditative process. And when you do that, what it does is it allows you to live and anchor yourself in the world of the observer. The observer is is never impatient. The observer is just, this is where we are. It, it, it's just not emotional. You know, it doesn't judge. Emotions come from judging. It, um, it doesn't judge them. It's just here and now. And when you learn that, you can under, you know, it's like when I said about impatience, when somebody says, you know, how do I become more you know, um, patient? Well, the first thing you have to, be able to do is experience the difference between being in your impatience and noticing that your mind and your subconscious working together are producing an impatient interpretation. They're, they're creating an interpretation of this moment that is impatient, so you're experiencing impatient. They're two very different perspectives to live in. And you know, when you get to that place where you can be mostly in the observer, then what you're asking happens naturally. You don't have to try to make it happen. It just happens. So you're really kind of getting to there in a roundabout way. But it's difficult to get people to spend 10 minutes a day. It's really kind of crazy. Like, you know, I ask people to look, I just for 10 minutes a day, I want you to do this. And and they they find it hard to spend that 10 minutes, yet they don't find it hard to spend 10 minutes watching TV or staring at their phone or, or, you know, whatever else. You know, they can't let go of those things long enough to get themselves mentally and emotionally to a place where it's just much a much more pleasant way to spend their day. So, you know, how do we get into that? You have got to first, the very fundamental building block of every self-help, every transformation thing is always getting to a place where you live 
in the perspective of the observer. And that's when you have control of what you, you have the ability, I should say, you have the privilege to change what you're experiencing. And because when you say, well, you know, I'm in the present, you know, how do I get there? Well, the problem isn't so much getting there. The problem is being patient with yourself as you develop the skill of being of being in the present moment. That's the problem. It's a skill and it's going to take repetition and repetition is going to take time. And so you need to let go of this. I will get to this point where I feel great. I mean, I actually had a client one time say to me, I want to know what it feels like to go through the day as you how you experience the day. And I said, well, I'll answer that question as as soon as you describe the color blue to me. And of course he just, he got the joke. And the point is, is that you have to do this. It has to come from the inside out. It's conscious experience and you have to put in some effort. And it's really crazy that we don't mind putting in effort for a lot of things, making more money so we can buy a more expensive car or something like that. But something like this, which is totally free and we have, Everybody has the ability to do it. And it completely transforms. It drops all the stress away. It gives you control in situations that you thought you could never control. All those things. And, and they, they resist, you know, putting in uh, just a little bit of effort that it requires to do it. I found, though, for me, there's little moments of, it's like a pivot point. And I'll give an example of that. So trying to watch TV less, I find that if the TV happens to be on when I put my baby down for bed, then I'm more likely to just watch TV for the rest of the night. Versus if I turn off the TV, because every now and then I'll have it on while I'm like making dinner or whatever. If I turn it off, put the baby to bed, it's like I've created the space in order to do something else. And I think that's where so many of us get caught up is that we're not allowing ourselves that much space to add anything new to our lives. So of course that 10 minutes feels impossible because we're like, I didn't have any time in this day. But if we were really, if we had somebody following us around with a notepad actually calculating what we spend our time on, or if we just look at our screen time on our phone, (laughs) then we're like, really? I can't find this chunk of time to do that? And so for me, a lot of it is is those rituals. It's not even so much that one thing I want to do. It's like, okay, well, how do I set up my life around it in order to make sure that I have the space to do this? And and something kind of propelling me into it. And so my reading time at night is not just reading time. For some reason, I find it almost impossible to just get on my couch and start reading. I first make my tea. I light a candle. <laughs> I like turn on my little uh, aromatherapy thing. I turn the lights on just so at the perfect level. And then I sit down to read. And for some reason, if I do all these other things that seem like it should make it way more complicated, I'm just much more likely to actually sit there and dedicate that time to the thing that I want to do. Well, you're basically, what you're doing is forming a habit of behavior. And so your mind knows that when this starts, it leads to this, it leads to that. And now it's time to read. And that's, you know, if you look at meditation, um, you know, if you follow your breath, your body learns that when you start to breathe this way, your experience should be calm and it should be content. And so if you practice that over and over again, it's just an automated response that comes from that. And that's what I was saying earlier is that the subconscious is always watching. And what it does, it's just a recorder. It's a feedback loop. It doesn't think, it doesn't have a sense of humor. It doesn't create, it just watches and records and associates certain things with certain other things. So when you uh, go with that, with what you just said, well, now it's like, your subconscious um, records this when she does this and this and this, it means it's quiet time to read. And then it prepares your mind for you to sit quietly and read. And I think that one thing that would be helpful to people is to understand, for the most part, when you when you were saying like, you know, if the TV's on, I'll sit down and watch it. Well, let's just say that's a real problem. Let, let's just say that you don't want to do that and you want to read instead. Most people don't have the faintest idea how to break that cycle. And for me, you know, I ask people a simple question. If in that moment, there's a moment, and if the, when you see the television, there is a moment where the thought comes up. I think I'll just, we, I'll just watch TV. I don't really want to do that, but I, I just don't feel like doing something else. There's that moment where you, you know, you're caught in that, that momentum. And I ask people, well, if you could do anything and be any person in that moment when that happens, what, is, what does that look like? And they don't have the faintest idea. 
And, you know, I tell them, look, if you don't know what that looks like before you're in that moment, then you won't find it when you're in that moment. This is why, you know, I have a, I'm a pilot, I have an airplane. And when you, when you're learning to fly, you learn, like, if this happens, this is what you do. If this happens, this is what you do. And you practice it over and over and over again so that there is no decision-making in the moment where you're your weakest. So, Taking it back to this, if you have a very firm idea of how do I, if I can handle that that moment, discipline-wise or whatever, what does that look like? Well, now you have a target. If you've made that decision, look, if I walk out in the living room and I'm walking past and that television's on and that feeling happens, that's going to be my trigger. And what I'm going to do to counteract that trigger is I'm going to do this. And then you know that. And so there is no indecision in that moment. And it really gives you a lot more power in that moment because you're not in this situation of, you know, like this weak thing, because the habit of doing that is going to be very strong because you've repeated that over and over and over again. So it's going to flow effortlessly and you're going to have to push back against that habit of behavior. And it's so much easier to do that if you have a set of instructions that you have created that you want to follow when that occurs. I can see how that would be so helpful for emotional reactions when the habit that you're trying to change is maybe your default response. Like you get triggered or angry or defensive when people say something specific because you can actually sit there and practice, well, what's a different way to respond? And it's something that you can practice at home to be like, okay, well, maybe I could say this instead of what I find myself usually saying. I'm thinking of examples with like my mom, for some reason, mother-daughter relationships. I love her dearly. We're very close, but like she can just trigger me like, like no other people. And so I can imagine actually imagining different ways to respond to things and that being really helpful. But I'm wondering, say the example is something like, like breaking the momentum of a bad habit. We'll use the TV thing for example as an example, because I know that's something a lot of people struggle with. What are some examples that you would recommend for, okay, well, the TV's on and I'm feeling that like I can't move from the couch. I'm going to sit here and pretty soon an hour <laughs> turns into two. What would be an example of something you would use to break that and use to ignite a new habit? Well, if it was, you know, if it was really strong, I probably set up something like, when, I, when that happens and I recognize it, I'm going to praise myself for recognizing it because in the past I didn't recognize it. I just watched TV. So that's the first step is building my confidence. And if I can do this, then I can move to the next step. And then I would have the next step completely planned out. Now, an example of that might be I would take the book that I wanted to read. I would have it open to the page or at least a bookmark in there and it would be ready. And when that thing happens, I would have I would have what I call a rescue mantra. So when the tele I see the television and I have that impulse to sit and watch it, I would say, well, it's here it is. It showed up right on time, this impulse. And now I'm in a game and I'm going to win this game today. I'm going to beat it. And, and it really becomes a game. And, you know, and I would say like, this is when the fun starts. You know, this is when the fun starts because that's when you're up against your threshold to go back to that. <clears throat> that is a threshold. Your ability to resist something that you have consciously decided through your will um, and you're, and just thinking about it, like you have decided when this happens, this is what I want to do. And you're real clear on that. Then it becomes a situation of, can you push past your threshold? And if you recognize that, look, I'm at my threshold, that's why I feel this impulse so strongly. And that gives you the strength to say, but I'm going to push through it. And even if you push through it, like I would say, if you say, you know what, I'm going to read for 10 minutes. I'll just read for 10 minutes. And if at the end of 10 minutes, I want to watch TV, I'll let myself go back and watch TV. But I'm going to break through the impulse of that moment. And I'm not going to give it that power because I'm deciding what I want to do. I'm not going to allow my habits to decide what I'm going to do. So I'm going to decide what I'm going to do. So when that happens, I'm going to praise myself. Like, here it comes. I've recognized it. I'm doing pretty good. I'm going to go read for 10 minutes. And then you go read for 10 minutes, and then at the end of 10 minutes, you reevaluate. Well, you know, I don't really feel like watching that show anyway, and I'm kind of getting into this. And then you keep reading. Or if you go, I'm really exhausted from trying to push that impulse down, but I've made it for 10 minutes. I fulfilled my goal. And then you put the book down, and then you go watch it. And then you don't judge yourself and saying, yeah, but I should have been able to just keep reading the goal. See, that's what happens with, you know, with people is that they, no matter 
where their skill level gets to, they're always judging it. It's like I, I've said, you know, in, in golf, because I've worked with a lot of golfers, you know, golfers are always judging their score today against the best round they ever played. And it's, it's really kind of a crazy thing. And so if they don't, if they're not beating their best round, the, then they're judging themselves as not playing well. And I think it's important that what's important is, are you in the process of changing this? If you're in the process, it doesn't matter how small the steps are. Because what we always end up doing with this is we judge, we have these, we set goals and we don't have accurate data. You know, we set a goal and we say, I should, this should take me so long to accomplish this, or this should be this easy or this hard to accomplish. We do things, we go, this shouldn't be this hard. Where does it say that? <laughs> I mean, really, where does it say that, that it shouldn't be this hard? You're, the fact that hard, easy, those are all interpretations of the feeling, the feedback feelings that you're getting. And, you know, I, I had someone that, that came to me one time and said, I want to be, I, I was in a corporate world and she was on in a middle age and she decided she wanted to have a graphic arts business. And she came to me and I said, you know, what are you struggling with? And she said, well, I've been at this for six months and I'm not as good as I should be. I said, okay, well, how good should you be? And she just stared at me. She said, I, I never thought of that. I said, well, you must have some idea in your head. Otherwise you wouldn't, what are you judging it against? And she said, well, I don't really know. I said, well, how do you, if that's the case, then how do you know you're not better than you should be? Like, um, she said, well, geez, I never thought of it that way. And I said, well, if you could do what you can do now, six months ago when you started, would you have felt you were really skilled? And she said, yeah, I would. I said, so it's not that you're not becoming more skilled. It's that your perception of what good, what skill level is, what a high skill level is, is moving with you. It's your threshold. It keeps moving with you. And it, that's always going to be the case. I've worked for, in the piano service business that I had for um, 30 years, I worked for the best musicians in the world, the highest level classical country, Western jazz. And I talked to a lot of them. And these were the best players that you could find anywhere on the planet. And none of them looked at things like that. They just looked at, I'm in the process of becoming better at what I do. That's all they looked at. They didn't think like, if I could play like that guy over there, I'd be good. No, they didn't think like that. They, they had a completely different mindset. They were content in the process of becoming better. That's all they were doing. And that's why I say, like, if, if you have a tendency to sit down in front of the television every night and that's your impulse, and then one night you're able to overcome that impulse and go read for 10 minutes and then you come back, you, that's a major step because what you've proven to yourself is that you can make a plan, set a goal, and you can follow that through. And that means that, you know, you can just keep pushing that threshold farther and farther. I can see, knowing my own mind, that that alone, just feeling like that part is the game, it's not necessarily the TV or the reading. It's like, okay, in this moment, it's so easy to think about the fact that, oh, I'll just start tomorrow. But that decision point isn't just about putting off a new skill. You're actually choosing, am I going to reinforce the habit I'm trying to break? Because <laughs> you're not just putting off anything. You're actually making this thing that you want to get rid of stronger by not doing anything. And so that being the game of like, I can push through this impulse is motivating to someone like me, first of all. And the other thing I'm reminded of is there was a meditation app. It's not my favorite now, but in the beginning of trying to cultivate a meditation practice, I had tried a bunch of the different apps, just downloading whichever one I kind of came across, tried Headspace, all that. And they were all sort of helpful in their own ways. But the one that actually helped me develop the practice was 10% happier. And the only reason it did was because you only have to commit to one minute of meditation. And then they give you a little prompt. And in that moment, you can choose, am I going to sit for another four minutes, another nine minutes, or am I going to get up and go? But recognizing that just that one minute is a success. And so it was interesting because if you were to have told me every single day, like, okay, sit down for 10 minutes or 20 minutes to meditate, I probably wouldn't have done it. But knowing it was only one minute, it was a lot easier for me to say, okay, I have a minute, I can do this. And I don't think I ever actually got up after that one minute. <laughs> I almost yeah. always <clears throat> stayed the other four or nine, and usually nine, because it's like, well, this is what I'm doing. Now it's actually more difficult to get up and do something else. And so just kind of creating that ease around what it is you want to do or or choosing different uh, success points can make it a lot easier to actually get to where you want to be. Well, and also, like I said, it has to be accurate in terms of 
you know, if I say when you set goals for yourself, you know, you there, this is the reason I, I say you need accurate data because many times when we set goals for ourselves, they're very unrealistic, but we're not even aware they're unrealistic. And so the example I use is if I said, well, I want to, I, I think I want to lose 30 pounds. That should take five days. Well, we, we all know that's a ridiculous idea, but that's what we do with other things. We only know that's a ridiculous idea because we know it's a ridiculous idea. But if you didn't know that, what would happen in you in the process? Well, you would start dieting, you would start exercising, and you know, three days into it, you'd be over halfway through the process and maybe have lost two pounds. And then you begin to evaluate your ability to fulfill your goals and to accomplish them based on your progress in this. And you may be doing extremely well in moving forward, which is really the point I made with the woman. How do you know you're not better than you are? You know, you may be doing extremely well by the actual truth, but you don't know the truth. You don't have enough data to know that. And so because of that, you have started this self-sabotage cycle. And if somebody had said to you, no, if you want to lose 30 pounds, it's going to take you four months or something like that. Well, in, in two, three days, and if you got on the scale and you lost two pounds, you'd feel great. It's like, wow, I've already lost three, you know, two pounds. Your interpretation would be completely different. And that's why it's really important when you set goals for yourself that you understand that if you can have all the data, then make sure you have it. But you may not be able to have all the data. It just may not avail- be available because of whatever it is that you're trying. I once as a jazz pianist, I was trying to learn a an arpeggio, and I just did the same what I just said not to do. I said, well, I'm going to practice this for in my practice routine, which was several hours a day. I thought, I'll practice this for 15 minutes every day, and I'd be able to play it in two weeks. And, well, I couldn't. In two weeks, I couldn't play it. And I thought, I went into this thing of, well, you know, maybe I'm just, I don't have the ability to play this. I don't understand. I see other people doing it. Why can't I do it? And I've certainly put in my time, et cetera, et cetera. And I gave up. And then several weeks later, I was playing in a country club and it came my time to solo. And I don't know what possessed me, but I just tried to play the line and it was there. It just, it just flowed effortlessly. And I couldn't figure out what had happened. Well, what I learned later and, you know, through neuroscience was that, you know, it takes the brain so long to create the, the synapses and the electrical connections and all the things that need to happen for that, that hand-eye coordination thing to happen there. And it wasn't there when I started and it just needed more time. And if somebody, if I had known that and somebody said, well, of course you can't play it in two weeks because it's going to take you four weeks then in two weeks, I would have been completely relaxed and I wouldn't have been judging myself as being inadequate. So that's why I say when you set goals, it's really important that you have as much accurate data as you can. And you realize that that data may have to change whatever your perception is, may have to change as you move forward because you'll be getting more information. And the more information you get, the more educated you are about, about timing and all that sort of thing. It's a very important concept. Well, the last thing I want to cover before we leave listeners is you talk about the four S words that kind of help to create these goals around your practice. Can you walk us through those? Well, you know, simplify, small, short, and slow. And we've really kind of touched on that stuff during this this whole discussion. In order to stay present in the moment, it is very helpful if you, the first thing you do is simplify whatever task you're trying to accomplish. And how do you do that? Well, one thing is that you break it down into smaller steps. And then you, like you said, only meditate for a minute. That's all I'm going to try to do. I'm just going to try to meditate for a minute. It's like, you know, somebody in my family called me one day and said, you know, I tried to be present moment yesterday and it didn't work. And I said, well, the the problem with that sentence is the word yesterday. <laughs> I said, like, you can't, nobody's going to, unless you're some Tibetan monk in the Himalayas, you're not going to be able to do that. I said, you should say, I'm going to try to be present moment from nine to nine fifteen and see how that goes. So, you know, you need to simplify things by breaking them down into smaller sections because then they become achievable. As they become achievable, your confidence goes up and your stamina goes up, your emotional stamina goes up. So it's easier to stay in the process. And to do that, many times you have to work in shorter periods because of your stamina. You know, you only be able to, when you're trying to do something, you can only muster so much discipline in something that you're completely unskilled at. I mean, that's when it's taking your mind, you know, like if you look at the mind, the reason, why why does our mind create habits? Well, it creates habits because they're very efficient. Habits don't require any decision-making, it's just running a program. And that's great because it's very processor light. There's not, it's not processor intensive. What's wrong with it is, or I should say bad with it, 
uh, at times is that there's no conscious choicing, choice making in it. It's just it fires off and the file is run. So, but habits, you know, if you're trying to break a habit or you're trying to create a new habit, beginner's mind, it's it's always the hardest when you start, when you start learning how to play a musical instrument, when you start learning how to drive a car, you know, you're not listening to the radio and, and talking and all this, all these things, because it takes all of your focus to, to learn how to drive the car. So it's important that you set shorter time periods so that you there it's again it's more about being achievable so that you can be successful and then your stamina goes up and your confidence goes up and you become more inspired because you see you're constantly seeing success and the last thing is slow slow is just a fascinating thing to me because it's very difficult and particularly in the world we live it's very difficult to do anything slow if you feel like your mind is just all over the place and you're uh, you know, completely out of sorts and you just can't focus, try doing something slow. I mean, really intentionally slow. Like if you just try to, if you're right-handed and you try to brush your teeth with your left hand and slowly, you won't be able to think about anything else because it takes all of your cognitive ability to pull that off. And if you tell somebody, you know, you walk across the room and you don't think a thing about it. But if you tell somebody, I want you to walk as slowly as you can across this room, all of a sudden their mind comes right into focus because it's having to do something that it doesn't know how to do or it hasn't practiced, so it hasn't become a habit. And so to me, slowness is is always a go-to thing when you feel like you're getting impatient or your mind is running and, or you're agitated because it's very helpful for stopping all the chatter and pulling you back into the present moment. You know, that's really how I would use the four S words. Well, thank you so much for all the value that you brought to this episode. It's interesting because I, I have studied habits so many different times in my life. But as you even mentioned in your book, it's like, we need to review these things. Just because we learned it one time in the past, if we're not consciously integrating it into our life and our experience, then we just lose it through life. And so now it just feels like such a time where I need to revisit all these things (laughs) a year after having a baby, kind of getting my flow for the first time in the last few months. So uh, I know I personally have a lot to practice just with this episode alone. So for listeners that are resonating as much as I am, where's the best place for them to connect with you and find your books? Well, the books, obviously, uh, I would I would recommend the print version of the book. Uh, I mean, I think some people have both. I think that uh, I did the audio books, you know, with Fully Engaged, which you should read pre- The Practicing Mind first. Because Fully Engaged, the second book, refers back to things in The Practicing Mind. So you would be not getting everything out of that book if you started with fully engaged. And I think the print book, the reason I think you should have a copy of the print book is that uh, you can always, it's much easier to go back to highlight something. And then, like I said, if you want to listen to the audio thing, if they're available on, um, well, at least the Practicing Mind is uh, is available on Audible. Uh, the Fully engaged, they have all the files, but for some reason they haven't put them out there yet. But you, could, you can get them from me if uh, if you're really interested in that. I actually just finished the manuscript for the the third, which is the last in the um, in the trilogy of those books, but you can find you know I would recommend that you find the books you know they're in most bookstores. It's the book's been much to my surprise. It's been extremely successful. It's in a whole bunch of languages, and so I'm, I'm very pleased. It's, and at this point, it's been out for about eighteen years. My website is you know tomsterner.com, and you know there's all sorts of stuff there. You know you can find you can you know talk to me. You can set up an appointment to talk to me if you. Would like to talk about you know working with me. Um, I have a pretty good system you know for that that's uh, very affordable and doesn't take all of your time. And I'm also not a I'm not a believer as a coach. I'm not a believer in in transformation taking months and months and months. I just don't think that that's necessary. I think it doesn't take that long to understand what the mechanics are, and then it's a matter of practicing. So. A lot of what a lot of people do is they take, you know, they have some sessions with me and then they work on that and then they will check in at some time later. So I'm not really someone who is selling a bunch of packages, you know, like you have to buy $3,000 for the package, you know, a package or something. I don't, I don't work that way. So anyway, that would be it. If you go to the tomsterner.com, you'll see, you know, you can certainly get in touch with me there you know, through the contact form or you can just email me tom at tomsterner.com. It's pretty easy. All the links for this episode are at mindlove.com slash 235. Your challenge for this week is to develop a process of practice. Whether you're learning an entirely new skill, you're diving into an old one, 
or you just want to create a habit that you know will improve your life. If you absolutely can't think of anything, I would start with meditation. There are so many benefits of meditation. With meditation, that judgment comes up as well, just like it does in practice, where you're like, gosh, I can't do this. I'm just not good at meditating. Meditating doesn't feel good for me. Meditating's just not for me. I have an inner voice that challenges that every single time I hear someone say that because I was the same way. Meditation did not feel good for me at first. And now it is my absolute favorite time of day. There's something about like that 15 minute mark where I've gone so deep that it just, I can feel my body unraveling, my body and my mind. And so you don't have to dive into a 20 minute twice a day practice. It can be something as little as five minutes or even one minute. That 10% happier app was the one that helped me develop my meditation practice because I only needed to commit to that one minute and then I could choose to stay in longer if I wanted to. And if you don't want the guided, my favorite meditation app that I use most often is Insight Timer. There's just so many different options, whether you want guided or to just sit in the music like I do. So let me know how it goes. Let me know what you are choosing to practice. And if it's an instrument, can you please just upload a video to your story on Instagram and tag me in it? Because I want to see your skills. <laughs> if you'd love to support Mind Love, the best way to do that is by joining Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com premium. You get early release, extra episodes. You have a backlog of over 50 exclusive episodes only for premium members plus an ad-free listening experience and other bonuses. So you can do that at mindlove.com slash premium or right there in the Apple Podcast app. You can also support one of my amazing sponsors or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you do, I just might read yours on the show. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.